Welcome to The Marketect, a podcast series where leadership and product marketing intersect. The Marketect is for and about the world's best product marketing leaders and the chief marketing officers that own the function. In this episode, we're going to sit with two of the most innovative marketing executives in the game. One designed the revenue intelligence category and the other, the modern revenue workspace category. We're going to chat with them about how they defined it and thereafter led their respective categories. It's also my uh, pleasure to introduce you to my guest co-host for this episode, Leslie Talbot from Corporate Visions. I also refer to Leslie as the queen of messaging. And our guest, the brilliant Sydney Sloan, former CMO at SalesLoft, who recently, we're talking weeks, is that right, Sydney? We're talking Three weeks. weeks, recently joined Zoom to lead their global product and industry marketing function and the infamous Udi, we don't need to talk about last names here. He's on, on first name basis. Uh, Chief Marketing Officer at Gong. Welcome, everyone. Glad to be here. Thank you. So before we get started, indulge me and fill in the blanks. Let's start with Sydney and then we'll go to Udi. I'm in marketing because... No two days are ever the same. No two hours are ever the same. You get to play in the right brain and the left brain and bring those together in ways that hopefully uh, set strategy for companies, uh, delight users, get people to pay attention. So it's it's for me, it's the, the balance of creativity and, and business. The balance of creativity and business. I love it. Udi, I am in marketing because... My parents didn't allow me to become a magician. Yeah. <laughs> that was the career I thought I would pursue when I was a teenager. I, I was doing magic for 10 years. I'm completely serious. I loved creating magical experiences and moments for people and seeing them delight and, and bewildered. And I think marketing is the closest grown-up career I found. Love it. Let's flip the script. And you're still providing us with magical experiences and a, a lot of education along the way. Udi, we'll start with you on this one. My definition of leadership is? Hiring the best people you can, giving them what they need to succeed, and then getting out of their way. Sydney, my definition okay. of leadership is? My definition of leadership is servant. I've, okay, succinct and to the point. I love it. Servant leader. Um, let's get to this now. Category, it's important because it's how our minds make buying decisions even before the brand. First, you think I need a car. Then you decide you need a sedan. And only then would you start thinking about the brand. Udi, what compelled you and Gong to create your revenue intelligence category approximately four, four years ago? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Uh, my, my first piece of advice to anyone going to create a category is avoid it like the plague. If you don't have to create a category, don't do it. It's painful. It's expensive. It's laborious. It takes a really long time. And most attempts at creating category fail miserably. So after I got everyone excited about creating categories, here's our story. When uh, we originally launched Gong's product in 2016, so that's now, what, five, six years ago, and it was uh, in a category that was then known as conversation intelligence. And that category served us well for about three years. What happened after those three years, there were other players emerging in the market, and their vision and product for conversation intelligence was much narrower than ours was. 
And we felt that we had outgrown the category that for sake of differentiation, pulling ourselves out of conversation intelligence and creating something that we could explain as much bigger and broader, broader and farther looking would be the best way to position and differentiate ourselves. So that was a big um, motivation behind our category build. The second one was getting and keeping the attention of senior sales leaders. When we came to a CRO and we talked to her about conversation intelligence, she said, oh, you should talk to Michelle from enablement because she deals with those tools. So we needed to find something that that CRO cared about enough that she could not delegate it. And revenue is something that the CRO cares about. So we solved both of those problems of differentiating ourselves away from the competitors. We had a much narrower vision of what conversation intelligence was and could be, and getting and keeping the attention of those senior sales leaders. And we did that by creating revenue intelligence. Brilliant. Sydney, likewise, when you took over as a shepherd of the sales loft brand and as CMOs, we're shepherds, right? And what we don't own the brand, we shepherd the brand. What forces made you pivot and craft the modern revenue workplace? So I'll go, I'll go back to the purpose of category. Um, and, you know, having worked in categories for a very long time and, you know, creating categories, reshaping categories, like I, I hear too often from more of the startup, like, oh, let's go create a category. I'm totally with Udi on this. Like, why? Like, what is the purpose? Is is the pain big enough? I mean, categories are, are, are how markets shape and form. And it is really hard. But once one is formed, then it, the momentum of that category can can pull uh, the industry forward. And the importance of being the leader is that it's proven the leaders in the category, the first twos generally take 70 plus percent of market share. So it, when you're looking at the environment that you're in, if there's already an established category, how do you disrupt it? Because it's easier sometimes to disrupt an existing category than it is to create a new one. Um, or do you need to create a net new category to create something you know, bigger maybe than the playing field you're in, which is exactly what, what Gong did with revenue intelligence. When it came to uh, to Salesloft, like I, I was at Salesloft for four years and the category was not yet established there either. Um, and that was the sales engagement category. And, and in, in entering, you know, I was talking to analysts, do you think this category is going to form? And God love G2 crowd, where it's a democracy of the people that, um, you know, now are looking at shaping and forming categories. And you don't have to wait for the analyst to decide whether or not that's something they're going to cover. And I love that the, the, how that's changing the dynamic of, of the space. And, um, and so sales engagement was formed. And, and I think what's been so cool about the industry that Udi and I get to play in is it's moving so fast. The lines are blurring, people are crossing over. And so we've had to really continue to move fast to shape where we think the market is going at such an incredible clip. Um, that it was time to recast similarly. Um, you know, what does the modern revenue workspace, and it wasn't a category creation effort, by the way, Rowan, it, it was more of a product vision um, effort. Uh, and, and then how does that vision then recast the category? So I, I believe that was more of a, a recast or a combination of categories that I think are gonna come together in the sales tech space. Uh, but it was reestablishing like, well, well, what does need to be in there uh, to help sellers be more effective um, and and creating something big enough that, you know, it allowed the product team to imagine um, new use cases, new workflows, new capabilities that that were bigger than what was being cast in the category at that point. 
And and Sydney, let's let's stay on that for a moment with you. And maybe you could expound a little more, describe a little more of some of the high level steps that you actually need to take to define that that category in that way. Um, well, I think you always want to look at, uh, well, I think there's a couple of things that are really important about that. Like as, as you're shaping categories, um, you know, you're, you're doing it on two axes, um, you know, where can I differentiate? Uh, and, and then where is the value? That's how I think. I mean, I know it's like, you know, vision and execution, they have their own forms, but that when I'm thinking about it, it's like, where's the high value for customers? Um, and then how, and where can I differentiate in, in the market and, and bring those two pieces together to tell a story? Um, and, and so that's how I approach it. It's interesting now at zoom, right? Zoom is zoom is a verb. Like zoom is what we all experience in these video meetings, but it's actually a lot more than that. And so that's a, a new challenge that, you know, I'm looking at us like, okay, like there's the UCAS market, there's the contact center market. Like, do we play in those markets or do we create a new one for which we can differentiate? And if we're going to do that, what does it look like? How do we imagine what the the future is um, where, where people come together in multiple ways? Um, and, and so that's, that's, that's fun. Um, so that's that's the task I'm doing right now <laughs> at a much bigger scale. And Udi, how about you? Um, any steps to add or do you use a different sequence or what are your thoughts? Sequence for? Defining the category. Yeah, so continuing Sydney's thoughts, first, like, really understand what the problem is that you're trying to solve. And I think I, I articulated what the problems that we were trying to solve were. And we kind of went about it a little bit backwards because we already had a product that was starting to do increasingly well in the market back in 2019 when we launched this new category of revenue intelligence. It seems like it's been around forever. We launched it on October 8th of 2019. That's just over two years ago, everyone. N nobody, nobody said the words. I revenue remember being in the streets of San Francisco when you guys did that. We're like, whoa, <laughs> what is that? <laughs> there you go. So we, we, we went out with, with a out of home campaign. We took over Montgomery Station, renamed it Gongomery Station. We launched a new brand. We did we did everything really big and exciting that year, um, but nobody talked about it two years ago. And I'll, I'll jump fast forward two years later. Just a, a few months ago, Gartner came out with their first market report about revenue intelligence. That is light speed for an analyst firm of the size and pace of Gartner to take two years from the first launch that we did to announcing that this is a real category and starting to, to um, compose a report with, with other players in it. Um, Forrester recently came out with their recent wave about conversation intelligence, which is a little bit behind the times. And they're now coming out with their revenue intelligence and operations wave coming out, I think in April or May this year. So this is light speed and this is what it looks like and confirms that the category has indeed been created. If you're a single company and you're the only one talking about your category, sorry to break it to you, you don't have a category. You just renamed your product or platform or whatever it is you're doing. A category is when the analysts, when the audience, whether it be G2 or Gartner or Forrester um, and other players are starting to converge. 
And, and that's what we're seeing. We, two years ago, we were the only one talking about revenue intelligence. And now there's maybe a dozen players talking about revenue intelligence. So that, that is how you know that you got there. Now, how do you fill in the blanks? How do you get from A to B? You educate the market. And this is the part where it gets expensive and you need a lot of patience and a lot of time. So one thing that we did is we launched a podcast. Um, I said, yeah, well, who needs another podcast, right? There's plenty of those. And when uh, Devin and Sheena from my team came to me and said, we want to launch a podcast, I said, okay, what, what's the idea this time? Because it was the third time they were pitching me a podcast. And the first two times I said, look, you can go do it if you want to. I don't think we have a unique enough angle that the world needs this podcast. But when they came to me in late 2019, they said, you know, we just launched a new category. We think this is what the new podcast should be about. We're going to interview every week a senior sales leader and talk to her about how she uses data to empower her team and make better business decisions. I said, bingo, that's your podcast. The world needs that. And they launched it with huge success. They have hundreds of thousands of listeners on that podcast. They have not missed a single week in two years and they're doing an amazing job. That's one way that we're reaching hundreds of thousands of people and educating the market. We launched an industry event, celebrate the Revenue Intelligence Summit. So we own the industry event for the category of the Revenue Intelligence Summit. And we've been doing that consistently since 2019. We switched to virtual without skipping a beat in 2020, and we turned it into a quarterly event. And this year, we hope that we'll be able to go back to an in-person or hybrid event later this year. So those are just some of the things that we're doing when we say committing to a category. It's that. It's talking about the category. It's educating the market about why this is important. It's briefing the analysts. It's getting customers and helping them shape the way they talk about your product to take it to a higher level and talk about how revenue intelligence is good for their business. And that is even better for us than for them to say that Gong is good for their business. Because once they're talking about a category, then other leaders like them are thinking about, oh, I should really look into the space and, and see if it can help me too. Udi, considering our audience on the, on the subject of category, what is the role of product marketing throughout both the category creation process. So, you know, you talk about the problem and containerizing all it and the nurture of the category thereafter. Product marketing has a huge role in, in being the steward of, of the brand and the category. Um, I think one of you said it earlier that, uh, that uh, marketing doesn't really own the brand, just shepherds it. Uh, I, I, I forget whose quote it is that says that brand is way too important to leave it to marketing. And, it, and it's true. It's true. Brand, brand cannot be created, nor can it be owned by marketing. Um, marketing can choose the colors and the fonts and the tone and voice. But brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. If you're a person or a company, it's what people say about you when you're not around. And you can't create that by doing a billboard. You have to be that thing, right? If Gong is all about creating raving fans and making, helping sales leaders unlock reality and understand their business reality to make better decisions. That's what people hopefully say about us when we're not in the room. It doesn't matter what you put on the poster, right? Um, so, so that's sort of one, one thing I wanted to get uh, out of the way. Now, uh, Sheena Badani on my team, uh, she was hired specifically for the purpose of shepherding us through the process 
of selecting a new name for our category back in 2019 that would solve for the challenges that I talked about. And shortly after, she joined the product marketing team, and she's now a senior member of the product marketing team, working with them on all of our thought leadership and category plays, because there is a lot of interwoven activity into uh, what is the category messaging? What is the platform messaging? What is the competitive differentiation? How does it translate to use cases and to everyday battle cards? So it, it all weaves into one architecture of messaging. And, and Sydney, let's let's go back to process for a second. And before you embarked on that resource intensive process of rebranding and crafting the modern revenue workspace um, category, the, the first step was to set your goals with your CEO and with your leadership. Walk us through that process of goal setting. What did you do? Um, so it, it started with with brand and brand perception. Um, and, you know, we were fortunate in a that we decided to do it at a time when, when there was disruption going on so we could stand for something new. Uh, and, and I, I joked that, you know, the, the previous brand had served us very well. And it was, I, he, he bought the, the, the logo for on one of these $99 logo design things and he got $25 off coupon. So yeah, that $75 investment really did pay off. Um, but, it, but, you know, we, we were the company that was originated versus the company that we became were very different. And so we had to reassess and restate like, who we were and how we wanted to be thought about in the market. And, um, and so, you know, it, we took 10 months to go through that process. We took our time. I know a lot of times, you know, you, you people want it faster, but I think when you're making an investment in something that has, you know, 10 year lifespan, then you have to put the right work in to under to make sure that that's right. Um, the metrics specifically that you asked, Leslie. Mm -hmm. uh, so we were looking at um, brand rich, brand reach, brand lift. Um, we were looking at um, you know an increase in unaided awareness and inbound. Um, so those were all the things that were were early mentions uh, or metrics that we were measuring on. So we started with the benchmark and then um, and then measured from there. And so Sydney, let's just stay with you for a quick second. You're setting the goals with your your leadership team and, and in, in and around brand perception. The, the next step is really, or in parallel to that, is knowing your market, your customers, your competitors. Um, which function or functions uh, led the charge here? And how do you best get these foundational insights to inform how you're going to shape this brand? Yeah, I think it's really important uh, in the same way that Udi was talking about, you're not your brand, your brand is represented by the perception, but it's also represented by the, the people in the company. They're the brand, you know, they, they live the brand, they, they, they are that interface to the customer. So it's important for us to have a really cross-functional team because it was holistic. And, and so we wanted people to feel it when they logged into the, you know, it had to be in the product. It had to be when they landed on our website, it had to be when they would engage with the lofter. Uh, and, and so all of those pieces had to come together. Uh, so it was a cross-functional team that started, but the, the true kind of, uh, you know, um, uh, steer, the steering group was um, our head of brand comms. Um, head of product marketing, head of product, myself, our CEO, um, and 
you know, the, but it was a, it was a, a team effort. I mean, there wasn't a single person in the company that didn't do something um, as it related to the launch. Um, and I mean, we, we did it all at once. We, every it was a big bang. It, there, there were no hanging chads. <laughs> sorry, sorry, web pages that didn't get touched uh, assets that you can find that, that didn't like we, we, we did every single piece and even, even thinking through your ecosystem and how do you make sure that your partners and those that talk about you um, also have updated. So I think we were tracking to 80% of our partners had updated their assets within two months of our launch, which was incredible. Um, Wonderful. So. And, and just to double click on the, uh, the insights that you collect uh, within your steering committee on, on customers, competitors, even just the, the, the market. Uh, what are your best sources of insights, especially for market customer and competitor? Where, where do you, where do you, who helps you get that? And, and where do you guys even go to source it? Um, I think there's different areas. So um, uh, the, the peer review sites are great are great to, to start with. I mean, and it's, it's like, you know, are you just looking at product? Are you looking at company specific? Um, uh, Cause you, you know, in Glassdoor, you can kind of figure out what's going on in a company. Uh, you go look at the job postings and see where the companies are headed because they're hiring engineers in certain category areas. I was, de- I was always like looking at what was being hired to try and figure out what their next m- multiple steps were. Uh, Cause that's signaled in, in the job boards. Um, and, uh, and so, and then, and then we use, you know, we, we use Clue for competitive intelligence. We had a couple of dedicated people who basically would read every single knowledge base article, um, private shopper uh, companies that would go out and and do the the sales experience as well as win loss analysis. So, I think in a hyper competitive market, you have to know your competitors better than they know you. And yeah. so, we put a lot of of effort and in the in the sense that you can anticipate their next move. I did not see the revenue intelligence thing coming, by the way. Um, we weren't really in that deep as deep in that market looking at looking at those competitors and and we were a, a later entrant into that market um but you know i think that's a part of being in product marketing right you have to have uh and and uh, latney coined this so i'm just you know leveraging her but our job is actually market that's why i love product marketing right like you bring the market perception the customer insights to the equation so product is informed and then you get to you get to shepherd that all the way through the customer experience and how you're partnering with sales and the customer success organization and and getting feedback from customers uh again through customer insights when i think like Product marketing should own customer insights. That's cabs, voice of the customer programs, NPI, peer review sites. Like that's where you get that goodness of the closeness to the customer. So you can infuse that into um, uh, the market strategy that you're putting forward um, in partnership with product. Amen, Sydney. Amen. Uh, product marketing, voice, value, <laughs> velocity, voice of the market, yeah. voice of the customer, voice of the uh, competitor. We absolutely have to be the go-to resource yeah. for. I never, I voice. never thought I'd go. So funny story here, just sidebar. I never thought I'd go back to product marketing. I did it for 15 years at Adobe, and it was the hardest job I ever had. And so when I got to kind of change, I was like, Oh, thank God! You know, <laughs> don't have to do that anymore. But but then I was having this debate with my CEO, um, and it was like. I, I would never be a CMO that didn't have product marketing within 
the the remit because that's where go to market gets formed that's where strategy gets set like that's the that's the goodness part and then you get to execute all the marketing aspects of that so it's funny that i ended up it wasn't by design i i wasn't looking for to move into product marketing just this opportunity came at zoom that was just so awesome that it was like wow you know we welcome you back into the fold future. thank you <laughs> you know i called you right away and was like rowan <laughs> need some help and Udi, you have a gem of of a product marketing leader in, in Julian, absolute gem, but uh, uh, sorry, Leslie, I didn't mean to, to hog the questions here. Did you have anything? Well, so I wanted to talk a little bit more about narrative. And so Udi, you, you've, you know, you've got your goals, you've got your, you understand your, your market, you understand the competition, you, you've got your category. How do you, how do you containerize that? And then how do you use that as a springboard into actually crafting that narrative? How does that how does that whole process play out? The, the way that we think about it, and there, there are many models, and I don't think one is necessarily better than the other. I think uh, depending on uh, the preferences of uh, either the VP of product marketing, and Julian is indeed fantastic, or, or preferences or experiences of executives on the steering committee that, that are involved in it, we can switch between models or, or combine them into something hybrid. But the way we're thinking about it is there is the high-level category messaging of what revenue intelligence is. And then one layer below that is who are we as a company and what is our mission? And it was rather recently uh, when Kelly Wright joined us as our president and COO that she helped us finalize the mission statement that we were uh, working on for quite a while until she arrived, but the things sort of clicked pretty quickly once she she arrived and brought in some more structure and process with her on, around that. And so we, we created our mission, which is unlock reality to help people and companies reach their full potential. And that is a long-term mission that should be with us for the next five or more years. So everything we build into that, the markets, the products, the go-to-market motions, they will all serve that greater mission. One level under that, we looked at what are the three or four biggest problems that we solve that our products, future and current products can help solve. And this is a really, really big part of product marketing because getting people to agree on a common problem is way easier than getting them to agree on a common solution, right? We, we all agree that healthcare sucks and that uh, cost of living in the Bay Area is terrible. And we all agree on problems. It's much harder to agree on what exactly is the right solution to this problem. So if you can get folks to agree on problems that you solve, you're already halfway there. So we we defined what are the three problems. I won't bore you with all the details, but as, as to keep it at a framework level, we, we narrowed it down to three major problems that we want to focus on as a company for the next few years. And that we believe our current product portfolio and what's upcoming, some of it we don't even know yet, these are the problems we're going to focus on solving, right? So, so that was the next level. And then we took it one level down and said, okay, within our current product portfolio, how do our products solve each of these three problems? It could be three, four, or five. We chose three because we, we think it's, it's going to be easier to, narrow, to expand it in the future if we need to additional ones and to narrow it down. So we chose three problems and then we clearly aligned to those three problems, right? I'll give you an example of one. Um, one, one problem is that management teams as companies grow are misaligned. They're misaligned between them, between them and their customers. And so one big thing that our product does is alignment. 
And, and that's a big part of what we solve for. And another one is that um, a lot of the information that people debate in forecasting meetings or in management meetings is opinion-based. And Gong is all about, all about being reality-based. So that is a problem statement, and that is a value prop, which we believe is differentiated. Nobody else in the space is yet talking about being reality-based. If I were a betting man, I would say that a year from now, other companies will be talking about reality-based, just like all the competitors like Ducks in a Row change their messaging every time we do. So they become from something else. I think it was meeting intelligence originally, Sydney, to conversation intelligence. And then uh, a year later, everyone's suddenly revenue intelligence. What a coincidence, right? What are the odds? So uh, I'm pretty sure other players are going to start talking about being reality-based. And so that was the next level. I'll, I'll finish my answer here, uh, Leslie. Sorry to to keep going on about it. Under the, the value props, we talk about use cases. So we currently have four or five use cases of Gong. You can use it for onboarding this way. You can use it for coaching this way. You can use it for deal management in this way, et cetera. And then finally, once you get all the way down there, um, there are competitive positioning based on current competitive intelligence. So if a certain competitor is saying that he does one thing in a better way or in a different way, why are we different and how is that better in a way that the customer should care about? So that is the competitive positioning, but it's it's nowhere near the top because, uh, and maybe it would have been if we were a contender in the category, but as the leader, Competitive positioning is sort of way at the bottom of the narrative uh, once we explain the category, the vision, everything else that comes before that. Uh, Udi and Sydney, both. You talk about understanding the problem. In your case, Udi, there's three that you chose to solve for. You create a value proposition. You understand the use cases that you want to hone in on. Uh, you understand how you're different versus your competition and you position accordingly. You have this story, this message now, and you need it to now tell the world. Uh, not everyone can uh, get a Super Bowl commercial. Uh, shout out. You guys did that last year. And, and this, stay tuned. Coming up in two weeks. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, you heard it us, here first. <laughs> yeah, give us your high-level planning for lightning strike how are you telling the world in a disciplined manner obviously we're not you know uh, we don't cater to everyone for your specific audiences what is your lightning strike plan sydney you want to go first well, I think that's really interesting because that's the challenge that we're having at Zoom. Uh, I mean, a over a billion users on our platforms, our audiences are so broad. Uh, you know, it's everything from, you know, business users to yoga instructors to families. You know, so which audiences do we identify with and, and look to do that exercise that Udi talked about, where it's like, well, what is the problem they're facing? And, and what are the use cases associated with that? And where is the commonality across all of our users that makes sense for us to anchor on as it relates to the platform that we're trying to position instead of what we're known for, which is the video component. Um, and so I think, you know, that that is an exercise that we're going through now. And, and so I would I would say that you know, tip of the hat to, to Udi and the, the team at Gong for doing the best job. And, and I advise companies and I say, go look at what Gong does. The best job of identifying their audience and being extremely consistent in the way that you communicate to them, that you've built that trust, you know, you've built the credibility and, and you see the followers and fans because of it. And they were, you stayed so focused on that 
on that audience. And I think that's a challenge that a lot of people have because you, you know, you start to pivot and you don't stick to your audience long enough to be able to get the message to resonate. And, and so you can create the message, but it doesn't resonate until you invest in it for a long time. And repeat it a thousand times. Yeah. And just over and over and over. And so I think, you know, you, you referred to the lightning strikes and um, I was going to recommend two books. I'm sure you've already talked about on your show, but if there are people are listening for the first time, you know, definitely read play bigger from Chris Lockhead. Um, I also really like obviously awesome from April Dunford as it relates to positioning. Like if you read those two books, you don't know anything about product marketing. You'll know something at least about category design and, and, and messaging and positioning. Um, and, and so, you know, I think, I think, you know, audience centricity is a, a place that I would recommend that, that people start because that's where you're going to understand the problems that they're facing. Thank you, Sydney. And and Sydney, um, April is from Toronto, where I'm yes. based, and she was the first speaker at my first conference for the product marketing community in 2016. She's absolutely tip top. Yeah. Uh, Udi, some tips for lightning yeah. strike. Yeah, uh, I, I wholeheartedly agree with everything Sydney said. Uh, I would add to that as, as to make it very pragmatic so how we look at it here, Gong. So Sheena got us disciplined on lightning strikes from day one. She she brought in that concept to the team. And at that time in 2019, the first lightning strike was uh, we had put on our first industry event on eight, on uh, October 8th of 2019. It was in person, if you remember what those events looked like. And uh, our CEO was on stage. So Sheena planned the perfect lightning strike for that day. His keynote was all about announcing revenue intelligence. We had smoke machines on the stage, sound effects, purple lighting, everything. That week, we launched our out-of-home campaign around the Bay Area. That day, we launched a press release announcing announcing that revenue intelligence is now a thing and why it's important and all of that. That was just the first step. All of that happened on one day. You can imagine the amount of preparation that went into that. And uh, since then, we've been doing at least once a quarter a lightning strike around the category. And I can share that we're now moving so fast as a business that my team is now finalizing the, the plan for this year where our assumption is that we need at least one monthly lightning strike to keep the ball rolling, to keep the message rolling. There's so much noise out there, so much noise out there with companies announcing new products and new categories and new capabilities. If you don't all the time work on being top of mind, you're just going to get run over by the bus and you just always have to be out there. So you, you already uh, took the cat out of the bag around Super Bowl. Uh, so yes, February is going to be about Super Bowl and we're going to, you'll see that we worked our mission statement, albeit in a kind of silly Super Bowl worthy way into the Super Bowl commercial. And we've got a couple of months this year where we know we have big product launches. So we're going to revolve our lightning strike around those. And other month, we're going to do other campaigns. Of course, I'm not going to give everything away today, but we're planning on having a monthly cadence of lightning strikes. Now, it takes a lot of work and many, many talented gift uh, team members to, to pull this off. But that is how we're thinking about it. It's on the calendar. We know this is February. This is April. This is what's happening every month. I love the monthly cadence of lightning strikes. Uh, Scott Brinker just recently released his latest MarTech map. And it has he calls it the MarTech 5000 because he never thought it'd go past five. It, this year, 2022, it just crossed over 8000 MarTech sales tech solutions. That's nuts. And so you right. have to find a way to cut through the noise of getting to CMOs and CROs. Thank you, Udi, for that. Lightning round time. 
All right. So uh, for Sydney, then Udi, what's the one thing that you wish product marketing leaders would stop doing in 2022? Saying yes to everything. It's hard to say no. That's your job. Having a three-part slide for every question. <laughs> You're all guilty of it and you know it. Uh, Udi, we'll start with you and then go to Sydney for this one. Final question. What one tip would you give product marketing leaders to ensure that they are perceived as architects of growth in their organization rather than yet another cost center? The two things are before you launch anything validated with your sales team, which is your internal client and with your external customers to bring that confidence that the team needs before you launch something. And the second part is after you launch anything, be on top of your numbers, uh, shameless self plug here, use Gong to track the messaging and the voice of the customer and everything that comes up around your new messaging or architecture or price list or whatever it is you're launching and report back in an orderly cadence back to management. This is what we launched. This is what we're seeing. Here's what we're going to correct. And here's what we're going to double down on. Pretty much as simple as that. Fantastic. Sydney, your advice for product marketers to be architects of growth. Yeah, I, I think it's hard because product marketing is at the center of so many things. And sometimes, you know, we're, we're supporting the efforts of others, right? So, um, and, and so it's, it's sometimes hard to step into the spotlight um, to be seen there. I think, you know, being able to be an evangelist for your ideas and, um, and, 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 I would agree with Udi, like definitely leaning into the sales organization where you're partnering with them and, you know, they see the value that you and your team provide is probably the most important relationship. I know it's really strong with product, but I think when it comes to message resonance and comes to actually feeling the growth, you, that's the relationship with sales. Fantastic. I used, to, I used to call them money slides, right? Like if you, you create all these decks, we shouldn't even create decks anymore at all, but you create all these decks and then you go on the road and, and hit the road show with, with, with sales reps and ride alongs. Now you can watch them in video recordings um, and really see where the conversation hits. And that's the magic moment. Um, and so throw away the 50 slides or the 40 slides and just find that magic moment and hone in on that. Fantastic. Well, listen, I consider you both two of the greatest architects, markitechs, I should say, um, in the game. So we're honored to have you here. Thank you so much. Leslie, thank you so much for co-hosting with me. And everyone, have a good one. Have a good one. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Leslie. Thanks. Good to see you. Bye.